0: The introduction to the Psalter, as outlined by Bernard Orchard and Edmund F. Sutcliffe, provides a detailed account of the integral role the Psalms have played in the religious practices of both Judaism and Christianity. Originally part of the Old Testament, the Psalms were embraced by the early Christian Church, not only as a segment of sacred scripture, but also as a hymnal. This dual usage emphasizes the Psalms' importance in the spiritual life of the Church. The Psalms' significance is further accentuated by the actions of Jesus Christ, the founder of Christianity. He frequently quoted from the Psalms, utilizing them in his teachings and prayers, as recorded in various passages of the New Testament. For example, Matthew five four seven twenty three twenty one sixteen forty two twenty six thirty twenty seven forty six Luke twenty four forty four. This usage by Jesus set a precedent for his followers who imitated his practice, as evident in the Acts of the Apostles, for example Acts 1.20, 2.25, 28, 30, 34f, 4.11, 25f. Also, the psalm's role in communal and individual worship was endorsed by the Apostles Paul and James, who encouraged their use in Christian worship settings, Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16, James 5.13. This adoption ensured the Psalms remained a vibrant and integral part of Christian liturgy and personal devotion. The extensive use of the Psalms is exemplified in the writings of St. Jerome. He describes the chanting of Psalms during St. Paula's funeral, noting the multilingual recitation in Greek, Latin, and Syriac. Moreover, St. Jerome observes the Psalms' presence in everyday life, where even labourers like reapers and vinedressers express their faith through singing these hymns during work. As the Church evolved, the Psalms became ingrained in both clerical and lay Christian practices. The end of persecution saw the Church in Rome establish the formal recitation of Psalms during canonical prayer hours. This tradition influenced monastic life, with St. Benedict basing his monastic office on the Roman practice. The fusion of Roman and Benedictine practices ultimately formed the foundation of the breviary, a set of prayers and readings obligatory for clerics in major orders, according to the Codex Juris Canonici. This historical evolution affirms the psalm's enduring influence in Christian worship and daily life. Moreover, Orchard and Sutcliffe provides a comprehensive understanding of its unique structure and principles. Central to their analysis is the recognition that the Hebrews, akin to other ancient civilizations, had a rich tradition of poetry encompassing both secular and religious themes. They note that instances of secular poetry have found their way into sacred scriptures, as exemplified in texts like Genesis, Numbers and Isaiah. The Psalms stand out in Hebrew literature as religious poems with a deeply lyrical essence. According to Orchard and Sutcliffe, The Greek title of the psalm collection suggests that these were not merely recited, but sung, accompanied by stringed instruments. This is rooted in the meaning of the Greek word, salen. The origins of these psalms were diverse. While some were initially personal prayers, others were composed expressly for public worship. A significant number of psalms were also votive offerings or hymns of thanksgiving, sung in temples or sanctuaries in gratitude for deliverance from danger or oppression. Over time, these diverse compositions universally transformed into liturgical hymns, a transition that Orchard elaborates on in his July 1928 article in DBR. A distinctive feature of Hebrew poetry, as asserted by Orchard and Sutcliffe, is its use of parallelism. This technique involves expressing a single idea in varied words, creating a unique rhythmic and thematic symmetry. This stylistic feature, while prominent in Hebrew verse, is not unique to it and can be seen in the poetic traditions of Babylon and Egypt. For a more in-depth exploration of this characteristic, Orchard and Sutcliffe refer to section 313 EF in their work, where they explore the broader implications and applications of parallelism in Hebrew poetry. This comprehensive study not only highlights the cultural and historical significance of the Psalms, but also offers insights into the broader context of ancient Near Eastern literary traditions. Furthermore, Hebrew poetry, as discussed by Orchard and Sutcliffe, notably diverges from classical poetry in its lack of a traditional meter, a fundamental element in many other poetic traditions. Referencing Castellino's 1934 study, Il ritmo Ebraico nel pensiero degli antichi, they indicate that the rhythm of Hebrew poetry does not conform to the classical sense of meter. This is exemplified in the unique china, or dirge measure found in certain psalms such as 18:8ff and 83 curiously these psalms are not dirges illustrating the unconventional use of poetic forms in Hebrew literature the inconsistency in meter within individual poems is a notable feature this lack of uniformity has led to diverse interpretations among scholars and poets some argue that Hebrew poets deliberately embraced irregular meter finding beauty and expression in its variability In contrast, others attempt to force Hebrew texts into regular meters, often resulting in a distortion of the original text. Margoliath critically remarks on this practice, suggesting that such efforts merely render hideous that which is beautiful, indicating a loss of the original's elegance and meaning. George Adam Smith, in his 1910 work The Early Poetry of Israel, acknowledges the limited understanding of Hebrew accentuation rules, a statement that, according to Orchard and Sutcliffe, still holds true. This lack of comprehensive knowledge maintains the distinct and complex nature of Hebrew poetry. The rhythmic accentuation in Hebrew poetry is its defining characteristic, as agreed upon by scholars. However, the precise rules and patterns remain elusive. Eerdmans, in his analysis, cautions against using metrical studies as a basis for altering the text, text emendations. This advice points out the respect and caution needed when approaching Hebrew poetry, given its unique structure and the potential for misinterpretation or misrepresentation when applying foreign poetic standards. In addition, Orchard and Sutcliffe's analysis delves into the structure of the original psalms, focusing on the query of whether these psalms were divided into strophes, sections or stanzas. They reiterate the lack of certainty in this area, repeating that while refrains are present in some hymns, Psalms 41, 42, 45, 48, 55, 56, 58, 79, 98, 106, 143, these refrains do not conclusively indicate the end of a strophe. Modern translations often divide psalms into stanzas, but this doesn't necessarily reflect the original Hebrew poetry structure. Further, the authors discuss the term selah, used in some psalms, which has been speculated to mark the end of a strophe. However, the true meaning and purpose of "cella" remain uncertain. This uncertainty is exemplified by St. Marcella's query to St. Jerome about the term. Jerome's response encapsulated various interpretations, a change in metre, a pause, a shift in meaning, a musical direction, or an ejaculation similar to Amen. He preferred Aquila's interpretation of "cella" as meaning forever. Despite various theories, Evidence that Sailor indicated the end of a stanza is lacking, as its occurrence is limited to 39 Psalms and thrice in Habakkuk 3, but it is not found elsewhere in the Bible. Besides, Orchard and Sutcliffe touch upon the use of rhyme in Hebrew poetry, noting that it appears to be more accidental than a conscious stylistic choice. In contrast, they underline the deliberate use of alphabetical structuring in some Psalms. This structure varies, with some Psalms having each line distich. Two lines, or quatrain four lines, beginning with successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. A notable example is Psalm 118, where each section's eight lines start with the same alphabet letter, sequentially covering the entire alphabet through the Psalm. This analysis underscores the complexity and varied stylistic devices in Hebrew poetry, particularly in the Psalms. Additionally, Orchard and Sutcliffe's analysis dives into the intricacies of psalm numbering and arrangement across different biblical texts, notably the Masoretic text, MT, the Vulgate, VG, the Septuagint, LXX, and the Syriac Suratal versions. A primary point of their study is the discrepancy in the numbering of psalms between these texts, with the MT and VG featuring 150 psalms and the LXX and Syr adding a 151st Psalm that narrates David's triumph over Goliath. This divergence leads to different numbering systems in Catholic versions, following the LXX, and Protestant versions, following the MT. The scholars address specific instances where the MT and its dependent versions diverge from the VG. For example, they contend that the MT erroneously divides Psalm 9 due to lost text from an original alphabetical structure. Similarly, Psalms 41 and 42 in the VG read as separate psalms are likely a unified piece indicated by a common refrain. Regarding Psalm 113, external evidence supports its unity in the VG, but internal clues suggest division. In contrast, Montana's approach to treat Psalms 114 and 115 as one and the VG's division of Psalms 146 and 147 is a topic of debate with the scholars leaning towards the VG's division. Also, Orchard and Sutcliffe explore the Psalter's division into five books, paralleling the Pentateuch, each concluding with a doxology. The second book ends with a significant colophon, suggesting an evolved arrangement of the psalms, as other Davidic psalms are found in subsequent books. This observation, coupled with instances of repeated psalms in different books, for example Psalm 13 reappearing as 52, and editorial modifications like the substitution of divine names from Yahweh to Elohim, emphasises the editorial processes that have shaped the current form of the Psalms. This analysis accentuates the layered and complex history of the Psalms, reflecting varying traditions and editorial influences across different biblical versions. Moreover, Orchard and Sutcliffe provide a comprehensive analysis of the titles or superscriptions of the Psalms in the Bible, affirming the complexities and uncertainties surrounding their meanings and origins. These titles, some of which date back to ancient times, have been a source of interpretive challenges not only for modern scholars but also for early translators such as those in 2nd century BC Alexandria. The authors assert that the obscurity surrounding these titles suggests they belong to a tradition of venerable antiquity, warranting respectful attention. Key title words with more certain meanings include mizmor, indicating a hymn accompanied by stringed instruments, tepila, a prayer, and negino, referring to stringed instruments. However, many titles remain disputed or unclear. For instance, lamnasia, found above 55 psalms, has elicited various interpretations, ranging from a musical direction to a reference to a collection known as the Director's Collection. Other terms like maskil, miktam and sigayon also lack clear interpretations and continue to puzzle scholars. Some titles are thought to reference specific musical instruments, melodies or liturgical purposes. For example, certain psalms are designated for specific occasions, like the Sabbath or festivals, as indicated by titles like for the Sabbath day or for the first day of the week. The possibility that titles indicate the tune or musical instrument used is explored, with some conjectures suggesting titles like The Hind of the Morning, could refer to the melody to which the psalm was sung. Furthermore, the authors discuss the attribution of psalms to various figures such as Moses, Solomon, David and others, suggesting that the titles likely indicate authorship. This aspect sheds light on the historical and cultural context of the psalms. Despite the enduring mysteries and debates surrounding many titles, Orchard and Sutcliffe debate that their significance lies in the insights they offer into ancient traditions and practices of worship and music in the religious history. In addition, Orchard and Sutcliffe's analysis digs into the origins and evolution of the Psalms, challenging the prevailing notion that they were exclusively a product of the Second Temple period. Their critical examination raises important questions about the presence of sacred music and hymns in earlier Jewish religious practices, such as those at the tabernacle, Shiloh's sanctuary or Solomon's temple. They dispute against the idea that such places lacked hymnody or that Jewish tradition completely forgot the pre-exilic hymns. The authors highlight various references to hymns and sacred songs predating the exile. For instance, Psalms 136 3F mentions Songs of Sion and Yahweh's songs sung before captivity. They also point to pilgrimage psalms from the 8th century BC in Isaiah 30, 29, and songs associated with David mentioned in Amos 521-23, 6-5, reinforcing David's role as a central figure in early Jewish hymnody. David is portrayed as the national poet of the Hebrews, a talented poet and musician who conducted orchestras and promoted Israel's liturgical chant. Further, Orchard and Sutcliffe explore the possibility that David not only composed psalms, but also edited ancient hymns, with Psalm 67 cited as an example of such editing. They note that the Psalter underwent significant re-editing before its Greek translation in the 2nd century BC, including combining hymns, modifying them, and adding liturgical elements. Besides, the discussion touches upon the declining influence of the Graf-Wellhausen theory which placed significant religious developments during or after the exile. The authors suggest that as this theory loses favour, a broader understanding of the development of Jewish worship emerges, potentially re-evaluating the Psalter as a collection of poems that span from the Exodus to the Maccabean period. This perspective not only challenges previous assumptions, but also enriches our understanding of the psalm's role in the history and evolution of Jewish liturgical practices. Additionally, Orchard and Sutcliffe examines the intricate history of the Latin Psalms translations, marking significant milestones in Christian liturgy and scriptural interpretation. Their analysis begins with the Alexandrian version, also known as the Septuagint, LXX, created in the 2nd century BC for Greek-speaking Jews in Egypt. This version profoundly influenced Christian scriptures, particularly the New Testament, and subsequently shaped the Latin translations of the Psalms. The first Latin translation likely emerged in Carthage in the 2nd century AD, leading to various versions across Africa and Europe. By the 4th century, the plethora of divergent Latin texts prompted Pope Damasus to seek a uniform version. He commissioned St. Jerome, a leading scholar of the time, for this task. Jerome initially revised the old Latin versions of the Psalter, studying the LXX. His first major work, traditionally linked with the Roman Psalter, has been a subject of scholarly debate in recent times. Jerome's dissatisfaction with his first effort, compounded by errors from copyists, led him to produce a new edition, the Gallican Psalter, during his time in Bethlehem. This version gained prominence in Gaul, introduced by St. Gregory of Tours and later established by Charlemagne. Despite Jerome's subsequent translation, the Hebrew Psalter, the Roman and Gallican versions remained more popular in Christian practices. In the 20th century, Pope Pius XIV commissioned a new Psalter, seeking a version that was faithful to the Hebrew text, yet respectful of the venerable Vulgate and other ancient translations. The resulting new Psalter, NP, completed in 1944, marked a significant departure from previous versions. It incorporated numerous corrections and enhancements in language and style, restoring Hebrew metaphors and expressions that had been diluted in earlier translations. Despite its advancements, the NP was subject to critiques and suggestions for improvement. This ongoing process of refining the Psalms indicates the dynamic nature of scriptural translation and its profound impact on Christian worship and theology. Also, Orchard and Sutcliffe offer a profound Christian interpretation of the messianic psalms, identifying specific psalms as prophetic revelations of the Messiah's character and mission. They point to Psalms 2, 21, 44, 71 and 109 as central messianic texts, depicting an anointed figure who is both a priest and a king, surpassing any human equivalent. This Messiah, as portrayed in these psalms, is destined to rule with justice and peace commanding universal worship and enduring great suffering. Their interpretation stresses the Christian perspective, particularly how Jesus Christ, according to the New Testament, revealed deeper meanings of these psalms to his disciples. This revelation was pivotal, indicating that these texts held messianic implications not fully acknowledged by Jewish scholars. Moreover, the authors discuss Psalms 8 five, seven, fifteen, eight, eleven and one hundred seventeen, twenty two F, which, although not explicitly Messianic, are understood in their complete sense when applied to Christ. Orchard and Sutcliffe maintain the concept of new songs in the Psalms, interpreting these as foretelling the Messianic era when Gentiles would turn to worship the true God. This view is supported by early Christian scholars like Eusebius and Saint Augustine, who found deep Christian significance in the Psalter. The authors caution against a purely literal or rabbinical interpretation, advocating for a reading that incorporates Christian tradition and teachings. They point out the role of the Holy Spirit in guiding interpretation and stress, the importance of aligning with the teachings of the Church and the analogy of faith. This approach, endorsed by papal guidance, encourages interpreters to explore not just the literal meaning of the biblical texts, but also their spiritual significance as revealed by Christ and perpetuated by the apostles and the Church. This perspective reiterates the Psalms as not just ancient hymns, but as texts with living, evolving, spiritual meanings within the Christian tradition. Furthermore, the penitential Psalms in Christian tradition are a specific collection of seven Psalms used for expressing remorse and sorrow for one's sins. These are Psalms 6, 31, 37, 50, 101, 129, and 142. The recognition of these particular Psalms as a unified group for penitence dates back to at least the 6th century, as evidenced by the writings of Cassiodorus, a Christian scholar and statesman who died in 583 AD. Cassiodorus's reference to these Psalms indicates their established role in Christian liturgical and personal practices of repentance. The significance of these psalms is not just found in their liturgical use, but also in personal devotions of prominent Christian figures. A notable example is St Augustine, a major theologian and philosopher in Christian history. During his last illness, Augustine requested that the Salmos Davidicos de Penitentia, the Davidic Psalms concerning penitence, be transcribed and displayed near his bed. This request is documented by Persidius, Augustine's contemporary and biographer. The psalms served as a source of comfort and reflection for Augustine, and he reportedly read them continuously, often weeping. This vivid account from Pisidius illustrates the profound emotional and spiritual resonance these psalms held for Augustine, and by extension, their importance in the broader Christian tradition of penance and contemplation. The penitential psalms are thus deeply rooted in Christian history serving as tools for spiritual reflection and repentance. Their use spans from formal liturgical settings to intimate moments of personal devotion, repeating their versatility and enduring significance in the Christian faith. The emotional depth and introspective nature of these psalms make them particularly suited for times of personal reflection on one's sins and the seeking of divine forgiveness. In addition, Orchard and Sutcliffe provide an insightful examination of the complex nature of the imprecatory psalms, the doctrine of the Psalter, and the theme of retributive justice in the Old Testament. The imprecatory psalms, which contain curses and calls for vengeance against enemies, have been a subject of significant debate, especially underlined during the First World War. Anglican authorities, troubled by the seemingly vengeful tone of these psalms, considered omitting them from the Psalter in the Book of Common Prayer, citing an imperfect morality inherent in the Old Testament. However, Thomas Aquinas offered a different perspective, suggesting these imprecations could be interpreted as predictions, expressions of divine justice, or desires for the destruction of sin rather than the sinner. He underscored the need to differentiate between the nature and guilt of sinners, advocating for hatred towards sin but love for the sinner as a being capable of eternal happiness. In their exploration of the doctrine of the Psalter, Orchard and Sutcliffe emphasize the dominant themes of God's greatness, omnipotence and justice. The Psalms depict God as the Creator, Ruler and Saviour, celebrating His power, mercy and presence. They also outline the duties of humans towards God, including worship, prayer and adherence to His laws. This section of their work accentuates the importance of liturgical worship and the necessity of internal disposition in external religious practices. The concept of retributive justice, particularly the problem of the prosperity of the wicked compared to the suffering of the just, is also addressed. The psalmists resolve this dilemma by affirming the eventual downfall of the wicked and the reward of the just, both in this world and beyond. This interpretation, however, is not universally accepted among scholars. For instance, Far E. F. Sutcliffe argues for a minimalistic approach to afterlife rewards in the Psalter. Orchard and Sutcliffe stress that Old Testament teachings, including those on the afterlife and messianic prophecies, should not be viewed as a gradual evolution from vague to clear, but rather as occasional sudden revelations. Through their analysis... Orchard and Sutcliffe illuminate the multifaceted nature of the Psalms, asserting the importance of contextualising these ancient texts within their historical, cultural and theological settings. Last but not least, Orchard and Sutcliffe's examination of the Psalms in The Psalter and History and Christ and the Psalter presents a multifaceted view of this biblical book, highlighting its historical significance and its integral role in Christian worship. In The Psalter and History, they indicate that the Psalms poetically narrate the history of the Old Testament. This includes pivotal events such as the creation, the deluge, and episodes from the lives of key biblical figures. For instance, Psalms 8 and 103 are linked to the creation narrative, while Psalm 28, 10 references the deluge. Other Psalms are associated with significant events and characters like the patriarchs, David, Solomon the destruction of Jerusalem and the Babylonian exile. This poetic recounting of history maintains the psalm's role in encapsulating and preserving the religious and cultural heritage of the Jewish people. Christ and the Psalter focuses on the psalm's profound influence on Jesus Christ's life and Christian liturgical practices. Orchard and Sutcliffe detail how Jesus was intimately familiar with the psalms, using them in personal prayer, synagogue worship, and at significant moments of his life. For example, he recited specific psalms during the Last Supper and at his crucifixion. This personal connection of Jesus with the psalms is further pointed out by the author's note on the Church's adoption of the Psalter as its prayer book. The psalms feature prominently in the Holy Mass, with the celebrant reciting various psalms at different stages of the liturgy. This tradition, dating back to the early Church, signifies the psalms' enduring relevance, and their role in bridging the Old and New Testaments. Through their analysis, Orchard and Sutcliffe reiterate the Psalms as a bridge between Jewish history and Christian theology, repeating their dual significance as both a historical record and a cornerstone of Christian spiritual practice. In conclusion, Orchard and Sutcliffe's introduction to the Psalter explores the profound significance of the Psalms in both Judaism and Christianity. The Psalms, initially part of the jewish old testament became integral to christian liturgy and spirituality their importance is underlined by jesus christ who frequently cited psalms in his teachings and prayers as evident in various new testament passages this usage set a model for christian practice with apostles paul and james advocating their use in worship further the authors analyze the psalms poetic characteristics noting their origins as personal prayers and public hymns A notable aspect of Hebrew poetry seen in the Psalms is parallelism, a stylistic feature involving the expression of a single idea in varied words. Unlike classical poetry, Hebrew poetry lacks a fixed metre, leading to a diversity of scholarly interpretations. Besides, Orchard and Sutcliffe explore the structural elements of the Psalms, such as the unclear division into strophes and the ambiguous term selah. The psalms exhibit stylistic diversity, including the use of rhyme and alphabetical structuring. The study extends to differences in psalm numbering and arrangement across various biblical texts, including the Masoretic text and the Septuagint. Additionally, the titles or superscriptions of the psalms, often ancient and enigmatic, offer insights into the religious and musical traditions of the time. The authors challenge the notion that the Psalms originated solely during the Second Temple period, suggesting a longer history in Jewish liturgical music. Also, Orchard and Sutcliffe trace the evolution of Latin translations of the Psalms, significant in shaping Christian liturgy. They discuss the Messianic Psalms from a Christian perspective, seeing them as prophecies about the Messiah's character and mission. The penitential psalms are underscored for their role in expressing remorse in Christian practice. Moreover, the authors address the imprecatory psalms, doctrine of the Psalter, and themes like retributive justice, illustrating the psalm's complex nature. Their works, The Psalter and History and Christ and the Psalter, emphasise the psalms as a link between Jewish history and Christian theology, accentuating their historical and spiritual significance.